This episode of Dana Being Dana is brought to you in part by Conic and Associates. Family Behavioral Health, Counseling, and Psychological Assessments, and Lane Marketing, experts in digital marketing and analytics. Hello, and welcome to Dana Being Dana. I'm Dana Michelle, and I'm thrilled you're with us. My show is about all different aspects of the human connection, things that bring us together, and living life intentionally. In a time of great uncertainty and loss, this pandemic has impacted kids in a very unique way. In addition to navigating their own losses of in-school learning and social activities, children have found themselves at the mercy of their domestic situations. One in four children has a diagnosed anxiety disorder or exhibits the symptoms. According to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, or CDC, from 2009 to 2021, the number of American high school students who say they feel persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness rose from 26 to 44%. This is the highest level of teenage sadness ever recorded. More than one in four girls reported that they had seriously contemplated attempting suicide during the pandemic which was twice the rate of boys. Nearly half of LGBTQ teens said they had contemplated suicide during the pandemic, compared with 14% of their heterosexual peers. Sadness among white teens seems to be rising faster than other groups. Joining me now are Addie Rubio, Aurora Live Center Manager, a staple for many teens in the Western suburbs, and Dr. Lisa Connick, a clinical therapist specializing in the needs of children, including those with special needs. Ladies, thank you so much for joining me to talk about this very important topic. What are some of the reasons for the mental health impacts on children? Well, I think, you know, aside from what you brought up in terms of the anxiety of the pandemic, this has been blooming a, lit, a bit earlier than that. Um, we've seen the technology uh, being an impact on teens in terms of social media use going up yes. and socialization going down in, in contrast mm -hmm. to that. So the kids are spending a lot of time comparing themselves and valuing themselves in terms of like. Um, likes and, and uh, on, on social media, which really influences the sense of popularity. Um, Self-esteem. Self-esteem. Yeah. And then also, if they're spending a lot more time, time in technology, they're spending less time actually socializing with peers, engaging in extracurricular activities, and doing some of the things that would bring them uh, a sense of achievement. Kids stay on electronics, and it's about getting more socialization. Getting. Yeah, what are absolutely. you seeing? So at the Alive Center, we do have a teen advisory board, and we had a really candid conversation with our students about that question exactly. And so we talked about mental health, and um, one of the things they brought up was that COVID was really challenging for them, of course, like it was for all of us. And um, they were talking about how during the time of COVID, um, expectations were a little bit lower um, on them, and one of the things that happened is that they felt unmotivated and unproductive at that time. And coming out of COVID, we're still in COVID, of course, but now that things are going a little bit more to normalcy, um, they feel like they're still stuck in that that place. That cycle of feeling unproductive, um, not antisocial in some ways, and having a tough time kind of re-engaging in that. Um, I want to go back to the topic of suicide because I think it's suicide, anxiety, depression um, are, are very important, and I want to focus on that a bit. 
Um, according to the CDC, emergency room visits for attempted suicide among teenage girls went up over 50% in the first months of 2021 compared to 2019. Why do you think that that is? I think teenage girls tend to internalize their stress. Boys are more likely to externalize their stress. And some of those internalizing symptoms are going to come out as maybe self-harmful behavior. Um, you know, eating-related disorder behaviors, and also uh, internalizing their stress without their social networks to be uh, suicidal thoughts and even attempts. Wow. Yeah, I would say um, that not knowing what their purpose is and not finding what makes them uh, passionate could also be a big uh, place in, in how they're feeling. Um, feeling kind of lost. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Feeling kind of lost. Um, I think it's easy, particularly in a stressful world that we're living in, and the way things have gone just um, with wars and disease and loss and all the things that have happened, uh, anxiety and depression, people can easily slip into those. Yeah. What are some of the signs that people should look out for, parents should look out for in their kids when it comes to suicide, anxiety, and depression? I think anxiety, we, we would see some increase in physical symptoms. So a lot of times if you think about your own stress, you may feel it uh, in your gut. Mm -hmm. So physically, you know, nauseous, uh, stomach aches, uh, headaches. So there's those physiological symptoms. And high intense anxiety leads to a sense of fatigue. Mm -hmm. So chronic fatigue, lack of motivation. Um, so we're seeing that with a lot of the anxiety symptoms in kiddos. Um, then with that, a lot of the depression symptoms can co-occur. So we see anxiety and depression kind of co-occurring. So the symptoms of depression may overlap. So we see irritability, um, short-tempered, um, just parents will say they're just very irritable. They wake up on the wrong side of the bed, mm -hmm. short-fused, um, and then moody. Mm -hmm. um, in depression, we're seeing major changes in behavior. So not only in mood, but also eating. So changes in eat, eating um, too much or not eating enough, low appetite, um, changes in sleep. So dysregulated sleep can be a sign of anxiety or depression. Sleeping too much and sleeping, sleeping you know, not, not enough, enough waking in the enough. night, not sleeping through the night. So we have a lot of kids that are kind of complaining about or noticing the sleep dysregulation, which affects many other things. Yeah. With depression, those are great things to look out for. And I think sometimes they can easily move into suicide. What are some of the suicidal factors that parents should look out for? I think one of the biggest predictors of suicidality, if, if you have somebody that's depressed, is going to be hopelessness. Mm -hmm. So that bleak outlook for the future, and there's been a lot of stressors for children in the media that gives them this doom and gloom perspective. I think also if you're noticing your child doing research about death and being very gloomy and having that perspective, a lot of interest in, in death, um, that could be a, a sign. Um, an increase that after a period of depressed state, an increase in mood that's very sudden mm -hmm. could be a sign that they're contemplating a plan. So those would all be factors that I would recommend. It's great that you said that, for. you know, monitoring or taking a look at what your kids are looking at and what they're doing on social media, because if they spend a lot of time there, understanding where they're at and where they're navigating is very important. Mm -hmm. A live center does a lot to protect these kids and, and look out for them. Talk about some of the protective factors for you. Yeah, the National Youth Mental Health First Aid Training uh, states 15 protective factors. And we as an organization take care of about 11 of those and we were looking at them. One of which is highly monitored youth activities, really great social um, interactions and support. We also have 
um, really great recreational activities that are uh, going to help teens come alive and feel good um, along with community bonding. Uh, with our clubs and programs, we really do see a lot of that community bonding. And the last one that I will mention is a really good relationship with at least one adult. Mm -hmm. yep. Speaking of adults, I want to talk a little bit about parenting because mm -hmm. I think even the most well-meaning of parents can impact their kids in a negative way uh, when it comes to their mental health. Mm -hmm. How does parenting, including, including well-meaning parenting, impact the mental health of kids? I think parents are, like you said, very well intending mm -hmm. and without recognizing their desire to protect their children from difficult emotions. So overprotective parents may un inadvertently um, lead to kids that don't have any coping strategies with stress. Yes. So they're, they're not getting those distress tolerance skills that we need to, to have them develop at this age. So they're projecting some of their own mental health issues like anxiety. Anxiety. And making anxious kids. Potentially, yeah. without realizing it. Yeah. So we, we, one of the things we do in treatment when we do parent support is let your kids struggle a little bit. Yeah. And you want to guide them through that problem-solving process and teach them to be good problem-solvers and regulate themselves better, yeah. teach good coping. Accommodative parenting, mm -hmm. what is that? What happens when parents do that for children? I think over-accommodating is uh, you're thinking you're doing a favor for your kid, you drop everything, you're not setting boundaries, and you're just kind of running with your kid everywhere. So kids aren't learning um, how to do things on their own. Um, you know, the value of chores, the value of getting a part-time job, the, taking care of your own backpack and making your own lunch has a lot of value to being self-sufficient. So if kids aren't doing things on their own, they don't have that sense of gratification or achievement. You talked about having an adult, you know, mentor or figure, it could be parents. Can you give us some advice on how parents or other adults can model healthy behaviors for their kids? I would say um, that parents could ask themselves really reflective questions, like asking themselves, um, what type of behaviors am I modeling for my kids? And whether those are um, meeting up to the values that they want for themselves. So if they're aligned with those values, that's what I would suggest is to ask, ask themselves those self-reflective questions. Great. I think also modeling good distress tolerance and problem solving. We want to teach those skills. The other thing that's interesting is so many kids right now are stressed about college and their future and their job and their career and there is so much achievement focused stress on our, our youth right now. Um, kids don't know what they want to do yet so picking a college is stressful. So having them, you know, think about their passion. If your kid is passionate about art or music, you know, how can they develop their passion in terms of a career rather than that may not be you know, they're getting negativity about some of these interests, and we want to promote them. Be, yeah. Let them be creative and find, with support, yeah. find their way to making that into a, a vocation. And sometimes you even need to take a step back because we talked about feeling a lack of motivation, feeling disinterested, um, feeling tired, feeling fatigued, uh, feeling disconnected. So sometimes, you know, maybe even getting kids back to that point which feels a bit more normal, kind of pre-pandemic, before they can even decide on colleges or their passions or their interests. So it's a multi-layered thing, but I think that's great advice for parents and anyone who wants to help and positively influence children. Speaking of kids, 
We are going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with some kids from our community talking about mental health and mental health awareness in children. Don't go away. We'll be right back. We all have a story to share, stories others can relate to, whether moments of sorrow or of hope and inspiration, whether a story of struggle or a moment of victory. Every little moment captured and shared helps us to feel more informed, helps us to feel more engaged with and connected to the community we all call home. Every little moment captured and shared adds up to something greater. For us, that something is the collective story of Naperville, a city rich in its volunteer spirit, its diversity, its traditions and celebrations, and so much more. In Naperville, there are so many stories worth sharing. And for the past 35 years, it's been our honor to tell those stories and share them with you. This episode of Dana Being Dana is brought to you in part by Conic & Associates. Family Behavioral Health, Counseling, and Psychological Assessments, and Lane Marketing, experts in digital marketing and analytics. Welcome back to Dana Being Dana, where we are talking about mental health and children. Joining me now are four teens from local area high schools, including one homeschool. Hearing from youth on this topic is critically important, and I thank all of you for joining me today. Now, Naperville and the surrounding areas has been known as a very academically motivated community. And I ask you, what pressures do kids feel to achieve academically? Well, they want to make sure that their grades are together and that they make their parents proud and make sure that they're academically focused. I, I agree with what Zora said. There's such an emphasis on getting all those A's and then we just focus on that and we spend so much time get chasing the A's, but then we kind of don't focus on the bigger picture, which is our health. Yeah. yeah, and I also really think that like um, between parents and then also like your peers, there's a big pressure to like do as best as you can and get those good grades because you're always kind of being compared to people. Mm -hmm. Do you see those comparisons outside of the academic parts of school, whether it be sports or different activities? Definitely, yeah. yeah. Um, within the own sports that I've played throughout high school, I've definitely seen parents pushing their kids to be better. Um, and to a certain extent, I think this goes for both academics and sports. But if a parent will continue to push a kid, that becomes their individual goal as well. And I think it can be seen as a goal until it gets unhealthy to the point or if they're obsessed with meeting it and they disregard all parts of their health, um, both physical and mental, to achieve that. Mm. Do you think parents sometimes live vicariously through their children? Yeah, I, I definitely do. I feel like, like sometimes like I'll be talking like with my, some of my parents, they'll be, like, they'll be like, hey, you should do this. I'm like, why do you want me to do that? I'm not even interested in that. And that's, that's a big thing that like, I feel like a lot of parents do. I agree. I think that if parents weren't able to do certain things that they wanted to when they were kids, they want to be able to have their own kids be able to experience that, so. So that's where you get like the 
screaming dad at the at the soccer match or, <laughs> or the baseball game. Um, do you feel like adults are listening to kids? I I feel like like some most are the vast majority of adults do listen to us, and for that I'm very grateful. But there are some who just see they don't see us as capable. They see us just as a number, an age, mm -hmm. and they don't see that we're so much more than that. We have potential to change the world, and we're already doing that today. I agree with that. Parents are trying to listen, or not even just parents, adults in general. They're, they're genuinely trying. Um, the resources that have been implemented in both middle schools and high schools, a lot of the initiatives that I've seen at my school personally are put forward by adults. You know, They're not really student-led, they're not student-oriented. And I'm just thinking to myself, how can you put forward a program that has no student input when it's the students that you're marketing it towards? That's very important, and I'm so glad that you said that. When it comes to mental health, are kids talking about the importance of mental health? Has the pandemic impacted normalizing and, and talking about taking care of yourself and mental health? I, I feel like with mental health, we're a lot more open. Like, because I feel like before the pandemic, like there's still a stigma, don't get me wrong, but I feel like currently we're, we're a little more open about talking about it, and it's not weird to say like, oh, I go to counselor, or, Oh, like seriously, I was just on the phone the other day and I was talking with one of my friends and she's like, yeah, I do this. Like I go to counselor once a week. And that's something that I think should be more normal, like normalized, like it's, it's something healthy to do. Yeah. What supports do you lean on or what supports do you recommend uh, to cope with what our new normal has been and just getting through high school in general? Um, I would say try to find like hobbies, new hobbies, new things that you've never done and just take some personal time, whether that's meditation, painting, making jewelry. Um, some people even use shopping, like just... Good therapy. Yeah, good therapy. Take care of yourself, make yourself feel good. Yeah, and I would say like Zora, it's important to find like different like outlets and like friend groups that you can rely on to like help you get through harder times. Do you find that kids are being more authentic? in those friend groups, talking to one another, kind of sharing the things they're going through in yeah. honest ways? Yeah, I would yeah. say so. Even in like my own friend group, I've noticed that like talking about like mental health and everything is really being like normalized a yeah. lot. And is it okay for kids to say, you know, I'm not fine or I'm not having a good day, right? I think we're conditioned sometimes to be like, how are you? I'm fine, right? <laughs> are, are you feeling more comfortable or feeling comfortable saying when you're not fine? Yeah. I, I feel like, I definitely feel like I'm, I'm able to say, no, I'm not doing okay today. Like, yeah. I've had a really long week, and today is just one of those days. Like, I, I feel like there's, we're more open about that. And I, I feel like it also depends on your friend group, is finding the right type of friends who, like, are okay with you not being okay. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Um, I think it's interesting, because even though the pandemic is kind of what it's viewed it as a problem and it, it, it did cause a lot of problems, but I also think that it opened up a lot of people's eyes. Um, it definitely tested a lot of friend groups. Um, I know me personally, like the core friends that have stayed for the past two years, I feel like I'm able to be open with them with how I'm feeling. Just in general, I think it's specific to the person whether or not they're able to be open with how they're feeling. Um, it's not always about the other people, but them personally. Certain people just aren't able to open up no matter who they're with. Yeah. But definitely the stigma around not being okay, just that has overall decreased, definitely. That's good. You talked about there being a difference or a shift in your friend group and social group 
pre-pandemic versus, versus now. Tell me about your first day back in, in school learning and, and what that was like um, or what differences you noticed. What, was, what were some of the changes or impacts? Everyone looked different. Everyone's attitude was different. Um, whether they went through bad times during the pandemic, um, being depressed. I know some people, they were by themselves in their room and their parents were constantly at work. So they didn't really have that social type of one-on-one -on -one time that they needed with their parents. So that changed them. Yeah, I personally remember being a little bit scared to go back because it kind of felt like you hadn't seen these people in so long, so you really wanted to make like a good, almost a first impression again on people. Um, I remember it being very interesting because again, you know, you're right, we haven't seen these kids in two years. And I remember walking around with my friends and be like, oh, that's so-and-so, like we just, we didn't recognize them. And so many people had changed, not just physically, but their demeanor would just be completely different from what it was two years ago. Um, for better or for worse, and it was just very interesting to see how two and a half years of not complete, but almost um, a lot of isolation just affected them. Last thing I want to ask you about is social media. How is social media impacting kids, your peers? I feel like it's, there's so much like online bullying and like anxiety you can get from social media, just like whether it's, you know, someone's starting drama or you know, you really like, I don't know, someone posts something about you and I feel like there's, there's just knowing like the right type of ways to use social medias, yeah. Um, I think me personally, well, I love social media. I'm like Instagram, I want my career revolve around it. Um, I'm constantly posting, I'm constantly on it. Establishing that dependency to all of our um, devices over the pandemic it just, it carried over to now. Even if we have other things to keep us busy with, we still have that dependency that developed over two years. So it's just, we can't help it, but let these things get to us. And all of those tie into mental health, because if it's not controllable, what are we supposed to do? So it's just, it's difficult to figure out the balance between when you're supposed to use it and when you're not supposed to use it, what affects you, what doesn't, so. I wanna thank you all for joining me for this segment. I really appreciate you all being here and sharing your voice. We're talking about mental health and kids. We're going to take a quick break. Don't turn off your TV. We'll be right back. We all have a story to share, stories others can relate to, whether moments of sorrow or of hope and inspiration, whether a story of struggle or a moment of victory. Every little moment captured and shared helps us to feel more informed, helps us to feel more engaged with and connected to the community we all call home. Every little moment captured and shared adds up to something greater. For us, that something is the collective story of Naperville, a city rich in its volunteer spirit, its diversity, its traditions and celebrations, and so much more. In Naperville, there are so many stories worth sharing. And for the past 35 years, it's been our honor to tell those stories and share them with you. This episode of Dana Being Dana is brought to you in part by Conic & Associates. Family Behavioral Health, Counseling, and Psychological Assessments and Lane Marketing, 
experts in digital marketing and analytics. Welcome back to Dana Being Dana. Joining me now are four teens from three area high schools, and we are continuing the ever important discussion of mental health and teens. I want to go back to the pre-pandemic life, if you can remember that far back. What do you remember and what do you miss about life pre-pandemic? Yeah, I mean, I think before the pandemic, I think we had so much more to offer. I think we were able to go see our friends. We were able to do a lot more things outside just our home. And now that we are, uh, now that we have been in the pandemic and now we're almost through it, we have seen that we shouldn't take anything for granted because there's so many things that is uncertain in our lives and we're not 100% um, uh, positive what's gonna happen next. Like something might happen, but then the next day it gets canceled because of COVID, exactly, yeah. And there's so many different things in our lives that we have taken uh, for granted before the pandemic and now that we have gone through uh, the pandemic, we now know that, wow, we shouldn't take all these things for granted because if we do, then it's gonna go by. That's a great point, mm -hmm. a great point. Yeah, I think one of the most important things um, that I've noticed, first of all, is that I don't honestly remember as much. I feel like there's a big gap and I am someone who remembers everything. I've kept a journal for the past four and a half years, so I write down everything that happens every night. Not everything, but... Um, I don't remember as much and sometimes it's sad. I'm like, what, like, who was I? What happened and is how I've changed a result of myself or is it a result of the pandemic? Um, I think it creates a lot of identity issues sometimes, but then also um, I do miss just not having this sense of anxiety. Like, is everything I love gonna be taken from me? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, I think even as we're getting back to normal, we still have so many restrictions and Things are so subject to change, we don't truly know uh, if anything's a guarantee anymore. Um, and one example would be travel, I guess. A recent example I had um, is I tested positive for COVID and my dad was supposed to fly for work to Canada um, like the next day. And then that got completely canceled because now if he tests positive over there, he can't come back home. Right. So things are just so much more fickle, I guess, and uh, so much more subject to change. Yeah. And to what Dylan said, we're not taking those things for granted, right? What are some of the other lessons learned um, that you've experienced through this pandemic? I think um, a lesson that I've learned is to be more understanding of the environment around you because everything is subjected to change. And I think because of that, people need to understand it is important to adapt to the new circumstances and to be readily um, flexible because it is more helpful for everybody involved to see the uh, adaptability and to just make everyone's lives so much easier. Such a great point. Compassion, flexibility, adaptability. Yeah, and also um, with that, I would say I have learned how to de-escalate situations. Honestly, that's more of a social impact, but I mean, we were all at home, we were all on our phones all the time, um, and there are a lot of negative in impacts that come from that, but I know just recently in the past year, I've seen my friends fighting over things they shouldn't be fighting over, and I just have felt so sad that like I don't want to involve myself mm -hmm. in these petty little arguments about whatever it may be um, but I don't think everyone knows how to handle themselves as much as they did um, socially so 
you really have to learn how to de-escalate some of those situations. I know sometimes I've just sat back and I've, um, I've had to calm myself because I know that everyone's trying to transition back. People yeah. are stressed and they, yeah. sometimes they fly off oh, the handle, yeah. you know, and it's because they have a lot of other things going on subconsciously. Um, so it's not usually about whatever that issue was, that particular issue, like you said, some of the petty things. Yeah. Um, oftentimes there's deeper meanings and deeper sadness going on. And I 100% agree with uh, Cy and Anna. I mean, I think that for the most part, uh, my friends need to, my friends have their own opinions and they also need to be taken um, into consideration with what my decisions are. Because if I don't, then I'm going to be viewed as kind of selfish and stubborn. And I think for the most part, um, with what the pandemic told me, is that um, my friends are some of the, my best values in my life, and I need to keep them. Because if I don't, then I'm going to be lonely. Yeah, those relationships <laughs> and connections are everything. Speaking of um, families and home life, are parents doing a good job? Most parents, I would say. Yeah. I, Obviously, I've had the same set of parents for my entire <laughs> life. I think my parents do well. And I think one of the most important things that I've seen with my parents, um, compared to some other parents, some of my friends' parents, my parents do talk to me about things that are uncomfortable. I've, I've like, <laughs> my sisters and I have three sisters, and we've had those talks where my mom's like, Anna, can I talk to you in the other room? And I'm like, oh, Lord, like, what's it going to be? <laughs> it, it can be uncomfortable no matter what it is, but sometimes she's really just, like, my mom, my dad, they're checking up on how I'm doing. They're asking me questions that I might be stressed about or stressed to admit to them. Um, but afterwards, I feel so much better. I feel so much more connected to my parents. Um, and I feel like they're on my side, but I know um, a few of my friends that their parents are just so distant. Like they, they live a normal, pretty normal life, but they don't, they don't really talk about uncomfortable things. Yeah. They just kind of let it go and it builds up. And then, you know, they have, these, they have these arguments about things that happened three years ago and they've never gotten to talk about that. So avoiding things, right? Oh, parents yeah. are avoiding topics. Oh, they yeah. should be having more conversations. What about our educators? Are educators doing a good job? I think educators are doing the best that they can to adapt to the new situation after COVID. But I do think that educators need to keep in mind the fact that some days I walk into school and I know I have five tests. And that is just something that's overwhelming and overburdening to me. And sometimes that is why I think educators need to be more adaptable and sometimes being able to communicate with a teacher. I think it's really impactful if they keep their um, keep their relationships with their students. Um, kind of at the forefront, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And showing that compassion, right? Having teachers, other educators understand uh, would make students perhaps more apt to, to share. You know, hey, I, I have a situation at home and it's impacting my studies. I, I'm having a difficult time with this topic. Um, I'm thinking about something else. I'm worried about something else. What messages do you have for adults? My message to adults would be be genuine. Um, I think that plays along with the educator topic because I know some of my teachers, some of the adults I've known um, that are my mentors, not all of them, but some of them say, oh guys, I know it's stressful for you, but then there's this kind of passive aggressive afterthought where I really actually don't feel safe telling them that I need a little more time or that I need um, just something to help me feel better um, to deal with my stress. 
So again, like it's really been reiterated, honestly. I think the education system has done a good job of saying, yes, we should be talking about this more, we should be talking about mental health, but some of the educators and the adults aren't always as on board. They're like, yes, that's a good idea in hindsight, but putting that into practice um, isn't always 100% effective. Yeah. yeah, I'd say that you know a big thing that educators and parents alike can uh, take into account is just listening more and being okay with things not necessarily being okay. I think you know, it's important for us to keep in mind that parents and educators had problems of their own that they had to deal with over the pandemic. Um, but I think a lot of them are so quick to try to get things back to normal. Um, they're not really accepting that there are still some problems that us as teens might still be working through um, and might still need support with. I think there's varied levels of how people are adjusting, right? People may be struggling in, in you know, socialization, but they're great back into academics, right? And so everybody has a different thing going on. Yeah. Finally, what I want to say is, um, what advice do you have for kids who are watching, who may be struggling? Yeah, I mean, I think that in many scenarios, kids have to live up to expectations and to what their friends believe they are. And I think that can be very hard on many different kids. So the best advice that I would give them is just to be, the, be themselves, because I think no matter how many friends that you have, if you have 50 friends, everybody even likes you. If you're not yourself, you're not really going to be truly happy inside. So I think the most important thing to do, even if not eaten, like nobody likes you, just be yourself. be yourself. Because that is what's going to really make you happy in the end, just being yourself. I would agree with that, but I would also say it's important to try to expand your horizons and broaden your horizons. Mm -hmm. One thing I noticed at home over quarantine is that I could be myself and I could do the things that I was doing, but I wasn't necessarily growing and I found myself kind of unsatisfied. Um, so finding new opportunities and kind of branching out, joining a new club, joining a new sport um, could introduce you to more people and kind of help you flush out who you are even more. The kids who are struggling need to reach out because taking that first step, even though it may seem uncomfortable, is the way to be treated and to get better and to help you feel more comfortable in yourself. It's the best thing to do. I think it's such a courageous thing to do yeah. Yeah. Is, is telling someone telling a friend, telling a sibling, telling a parent, teacher, just anyone that you trust. It's yeah. great advice. And I think with what Adi said, definitely um, getting involved would be my advice. Um, I know I got really bored. Um, I'm used to always being busy, always on the go. And for some people, um, being on the go that often is not, is not good for them. People have different amounts that they can take on. Um, but I, I'm somewhat of a busybody. I, I need to be going on to the next thing and the next thing. Um, and I got really sad when I, when I wasn't. So even if it's hard to get yourself out of bed some days, I know some days I, I don't, I don't want to go to school. I'm so tired. But I know that um, once I do go to school, I'm going to feel so much more accomplished. Uh, and when I go to my sports practice, I feel so much better afterwards. Um, so taking that first step into getting involved is crucial. Getting involved, even if you don't necessarily want to or if you're not feeling like it that day sometimes, just kind of putting yourself out there, being courageous, um, it all can help in the mental health space, just in your overall feel-good space. So it's a, it's a good thing to do. If kids who are watching this get nothing else from this episode, I want you to remember to not be too hard on yourself. Believe in yourself and that you can do anything you set your mind to. 
Don't be afraid to ask for help when you need it and lean on others for support. And this part, surround yourself with people who believe in you too. If you don't have it organically, you can build it strategically. Places like the Alive Center are great. And these are life skills that you are honing that will serve you well as you grow into the incredible adult that you were always meant to be. Thank you to my guests today, especially the young people who shared their wisdom with us all. Special thanks to Connick and Associates, Wings, and the Alive Center for the work that you do in this space and for bringing awareness to this very important topic. Hopefully you've been entertained, if not encouraged or inspired. I do not promise to be an expert, nor do I have all the answers. I'm just Dana being Dana. See you next time. This episode of Dana Being Dana is brought to you in part by Conic and Associates. Family Behavioral Health, Counseling, and Psychological Assessments, and Lane Marketing, experts in digital marketing and analytics. 